Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson checking in on a big game breakdown. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to the Cover 3 Podcast. We have, for years, been available wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, Apple, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Wherever you get it, we are there, Cover 3 Podcast. But now, the multi-platform excellence extends to YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three, where you can watch all of these episodes and on CBS Sports HQ. Tune in on CBS Sports HQ, 4.30 on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Tuesday show sometimes starts at 4, sometimes starts at 4.15. We're, we're on UEFA. Uh, Barton, I know, I know that working on UEFA schedule is not exactly uh, going, like a lot of soccer has invaded our lives in this podcast, but uh, it's we're, we're doing our best to be able to give the people uh, the multi-platform excellence wherever they can get it. You've embraced it. Oh yeah, without you've, a doubt. You've, you've embraced the soccer life. I'm still, I still haven't gotten there yet. You guys got to, you got to get Tom's, get a few more um, soccer lessons from Fernelli before I'm, I'm there. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to see you've, you're, you've dove into the culture. Yeah. The, uh, the key is uh, hashtag wake up to winners. So like, uh, Tom, like that. Tom, Tom gives, he has a soccer picks column and like so many of them are 7am Saturday or 7am Sunday games. So you just fire on them blind and you wake up to winners. I mean, there's just no better way to, uh, to start a weekend. Uh, we've got a, a big show for you. We've got Anna Hickey from two, four, seven sports checking in. She does a great job on the Clemson beat. We'll be looking at Clemson, Miami. We've got Ben Kerchival, CBS sports checking in uh, as we look ahead to Oklahoma, Texas. Red River Big 12. Uh, we mentioned, I, f- I felt like I got laughed out of the room a little bit for mentioning Jack Cohn's injury, but he is out indefinitely, Barton. Are you are, are you concerned about the status of uh, the Wisconsin quarterback room now? Who laughed you out of the room? That was That's, that's big news. Danny, I, I was, Danny I, laughed I, me out of the room. <laughs> because because Danny said Wisconsin, Wisconsin, doesn't matter as a quarterback, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, but no, like I think... Um, I, I'll reiterate, like when I when I said uh, on the the Monday show, and I said Jack Fromm Cone, it was like it got a chuckle, and I think the the insinuation that people thought I was making was that like he was he's like very average. I I was I was actually saying that as a very positive thing, right? And so I think that he's I think he's pretty critical for Wisconsin. Not that it changed who they are, but. Um, but no, I think that that's I think that's important important note, and we'll see what Graham Mertz does the rest of the way. Yeah, we'll see what uh, Graham Mertz does here. Uh, we've got a, a couple of um, you know big games to preview, uh, but you know what's is, what else is, uh, has got your attention as we're uh, as we're heading into this weekend? You know we've we've got our we've got our lock show tomorrow, and and we've got uh, you know time to be able to dig in. But as you're you're Scanning the slate a little bit, which which games or which storylines have been standing out to you? Well, I mean, the other one that so we're talking today, Clemson, Miami, and Oklahoma, Texas. Obviously, two of the big ones on the weekend. Oklahoma, Texas, kind of because of what it's not 
as opposed to what it is. Sure. But I, I think had we not talked to Rusty last week about Auburn, Georgia, it would be worth having a Auburn or a Tennessee, Georgia discussion this week uh, because that's a, I think that's a, it will be a very telling game for both teams and, and one that sort of Tennessee has an opportunity to get into the sort of the, the upper tier of the SEC and, you know, even nationally. And then there's the Florida A&M game, which is, which is like, I don't know, like do, is Florida continues to, to convince people, I think, that they're the real deal. And Texas A&M is, is quickly, you know, losing confidence um, by the second. Uh, so I, I think that that's – and then you get your boys, North Carolina and Virginia Tech. That's going to be a good one too. So I think as is, as is the case in this 2020 season, like every weekend is awesome. So it's, it's going to be another good one. Do you think that uh, – so like as I look at Tennessee, Georgia, I believe that Tennessee has one of the better offensive lines that Georgia will face this year. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if they will be able to run the ball. Like, they will not be able to run the ball as effectively as they did against Missouri. I do not think that is the case. When when you flip it to the other side, after everything we saw from pledge class president Stetson Bennett the fourth, including him going to the sideline and throwing some red man in the mouth, not regular old dip. We're talking chewing tobacco. We're some red man Right in, the, right in the side of the lip. I mean, he, he drove. He had to have driven home in uh, some kind of like 1978 Jeep with the lift kit, right? Like he's, he's absolutely everything that you would want out of it. But he, he point being, jokes aside, he played really well. So when Georgia or Tennessee are facing a third and long, who do you trust more to come up with the throw? Stetson Bennett the fourth or Jarrett Guarantano? Uh, I trust Stetson Bennett on, let's say it's third and 12. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I trust, I trust Stetson Bennett to throw it eight yards (laughs) and then Georgia punts. And I trust Jared Guarantano to drop a dime on one third and 12 and throw a pick six on the next third and 12. So what do you want? Do you want the quarterback that's going to throw it before the chains and and play field position? Or do you want the quarterback that's going to give you the, the beauty touchdown and and maybe throw a touchdown to the other team as well. Like that's, I think that's going to be a really interesting storyline. Uh, I, I think that that's going to probably tell us th- in, in a lot of cases, or, or it might very well tell us the, the outcome of the game. I agree. You know, can, can Jared Guarantano just be, add a little bit of Stetson Bennett to his game? Can Stetson Bennett add a little Jared Guarantano to his? You know, I don't know. Like, I think that that's going to be something that is, is, is probably dictates the outcome. No, uh, you don't have to give out any spoilers, but, you know, we're talking about this game and we're talking about the margins on which it will be decided. It's still a 12 and a half point spread as we're sitting here right now. Is, is that, is, does the mere existence of that double digit spread have you licking your chops a little bit and thinking about uh, whether Jeremy Pruitt's going to be able to, if not have a signature win, at least have, uh, at least give Tennessee fans the experience of going through a ride at 3.30, you know, on the streaming it on CBS All Access, SEC on CBS Game of the Week, thinking thinking all the way into the fourth quarter that you might be able to win it? Sure. I, I said on Barton and Bud this week that I think, as I sit here right now, mm-hmm. that I think Tennessee will beat one of Georgia, 
uh, Florida, Alabama. Sick. Be, be one of them. Yeah. Now, I think that that theory could get blown to pieces in this game. You know, Georgia could just come out and just totally outclass Tennessee, and then we're just reminded we're just in year three. Uh, this is just they're not they're not there yet. All they are is the team that's now doesn't have to sweat Missouri. Um, but if it's another four, if it's a four quarter game, because they they had moments of competitiveness against Georgia uh, last year, got kind of loose. Uh, then they had significant chunk of competitiveness against Alabama before the Quarantano goal line fumble. <laughs> the yellow. <laughs> The, the, yeah. Quarantano uh, calling his own number. I got this one, coach. So I, I think um, that's part of, I think this is, I, I think this might be the most interesting game to me of the weekend, honestly, because of tennis, the Tennessee element. I think at this point, we're a little bit better, more secure in who George is. Agree. But I think Tennessee is a, is, is a big sort of X factor on the year. I agree. It's my, my favorite game of the weekend. I mean, it's everything that I want. I mean, just <laughs> big, nasty, physical offensive lineman, field position, like an over under a 42. Oh, God, cannot wait. The- yeah. Josh Pate said, uh, he tweeted this, I think. He said that the that Tennessee, Georgia is going to be what we thought Auburn, Georgia was going to be. Uh, in the sense of like, and then he, I think he may even tweeted that in like this, the first half when it looked like that was going to go way over the number, you know, and it was like, but uh, I kind of agree. I think this is going to be much more of the, all right, this is the 20 to 13, you know, 17 to 12 kind of finish. And uh, that's the way that, that's the way those old ball coaches like it. Yeah. The, uh, uh, on the other side, and you mentioned this one, the, I feel like if, Georgia, Tennessee tells us a lot about Tennessee. Florida, Texas A&M has to be all about A&M, right? You're playing it. It's it's at home. It's Kyle Field. We are not feeling real good about the way things are going right now. And, uh, like, there is an opportunity for Kellen Mond to cook a little bit against this Florida defense. And if he doesn't, and it's it's no bueno, man. I mean, like, that, that line is at seven. That line is at seven points. I mean, that that seems like odds makers got the uh, 24-7 team talent composite out, and they're just using that for all their power ratings because Texas A&M doesn't play up to the level of way their talent looks on paper. This is is sort of the last hurrah here of Texas A&M for the 2020 season. It's October October 10th on Saturday. This, this is the Alamo. This is the this is the A and M Alamo, um, and I, I'm not very confident that they come out of this thing alive. Uh, so, but but that that will be that'll be very reassuring. And if they f- figure out a way to win this game, like that would just be, I think, that'd be encouraging for the SEC West race the rest of the way. All right, they've already gotten smoked by Alabama, but hey you know, maybe this team is pretty good and maybe there is a legitimate race for second, or maybe there is, I just, I think it raises the sort of the water level in the SEC West. If, if a and, I mean, obviously it does, if A&M can be Florida, but um, I don't expect that to happen. Coming up on the other side, we take a look at Oklahoma, Texas and Anna Hickey 247 sports checks in and we look at Clemson, Miami, all that and more next 
Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. And now it is our pleasure to welcome back to the show, Ben Kerchival, CBS Sports. Uh, ben, we had a, a lot of fun breaking down uh, during the hurry up hot seat. I mean, we, we took our swings at a lot of teams as we were just tearing through, uh, unsure of what the season was going to be, but sure enough, we are, we're off and running right now. And the, you know, with this, Oklahoma Texas game coming up it it feels like uh, in one sense it has lost some of its luster both teams coming in off a loss but in another sense you got both teams that are kind of desperate you you got an Oklahoma fan base that's a little bit antsy you know you haven't yeah. been uh you haven't been 0 and 2 in Big 12 play since John Blake RIP but like you know for Texas you you don't want this to start spinning out of control like as as you're going into this game i guess uh if we could start with the Oklahoma part, what do you think is the missing ingredient? What did we miss in our preseason analysis or what is missing from what you've seen from the Sooners so far? So what's missing is what I think we always just assume is going to be the case with Oklahoma, that they're just going to reload on offense without skipping a beat. Because to this point, there's been no reason to take the field. There's been no reason to say, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure about this. Um, the big thing where I think where it all starts, oddly enough, is the offensive line, mm-hmm. which is real strange because they returned four, if basically not all five of their starters in, in the trenches. And Bill Beatenbaugh, probably going to be a head coach sooner rather than later, one of the best developers of talent uh, in the country at, at that position. And Ever since Lincoln's been a head coach in Norman, they've been first in the Big 12 in rushing. I mean, they they run the ball. We think of them as always passing it, but they really have done a great job blocking up front, and I think it starts there for them. They're definitely not their usual selves. Some of that is turnover, too. Uh, Ramon J. Stevenson lost the suspension for the time being. Uh, uh, Kennedy Brooks opting out, Trey Sermon transferring. I mean, some of it is just – there's just a lot of bodies gone, even though I think Seth McGowan is probably going to be that dude for them, uh, at least until Stevenson gets back. And then it's so weird to say this out loud or write it down. Bud Elliott at 24-7 Sports had the, the onions to do it earlier this week, and it kind of gave me some bravado to do the same. I don't know that they have an assassin. I don't know that they have a guy – at wide receiver, who's that C.D. Lamb type, where you go, he's going to get it in the end zone. He's going to be that guy who takes over the game. You know, they don't have the Joe Mixon type. They don't have the Marquise Brown where you're like, you need a play and you need it yesterday, he's going to get it for you. They have talent. Um, th- that's not the issue. 
you know, Charleston Rambo is, is a really talented wide receiver for them. They have a reliable tight end. Clearly, uh, 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 Spencer Rattler has arm talent. I, they just don't have that extra little, mm, that little something that mitigates, I think, some of the problems that you see on defense that they can normally overcome. Mm. So they, they've been like five of their last six games last year in the Big 12 were one score games. Mm-hmm. Uh, including the Big 12 championship game. Uh, you know, two years ago, I'm just looking at like they, you know, it was like 51 to 46 to Texas Tech, 48, 47, Oklahoma State, Kansas played them close, West Virginia, 59, 56. Mm-hmm. Like is is this team, is this just a year where maybe they're closer? Like you can look at this two ways, I guess. Like you can look at it to where, you know, this is the year where they're just, you getting getting caught, um, the 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 streak is over. This is just not the dominant team. Or is it possible to look at this through the lens of you know what they've been this team for the past few years? They've they've played a, a little bit of these close games. Like they've been living on the edge more so than we've been giving them credit for. This year they just hey they they don't have uh, one of these Marquise Browns to bail them out. Uh, and and maybe that maybe they'll turn the corner as some of these guys start to develop. McGowan starts to develop. Spencer Sanders, Rattler starts to uh, get some experience. Are, are, is there is there can you buy that that they're closer than we want to give them credit for? Uh no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let, let me let me put it this way. I the last thing I want to do is be like, nah, man, Oklahoma sucks this year because then like you know they turn around and they win you know however many games, but. Again, I, I think the problems that they have are – I guess I went into the, to the Iowa State game thinking – I just – historically speaking, I just don't see them losing two games in a row. That doesn't mean that they won't have more losses over the course of the season. I just – but I, I think after coming out of that game, I'm going, no, they, they got some stuff to fix. And I think it's, it's, a, it's an issue of them. Yeah, some of it is – they're just not maybe catching all of the breaks or having all of the standout guys to kind of cover up the blemishes for you. But some of it is, yeah, I mean, they just, they just take a little bit of a step back. It happens. I mean, Alabama took a little bit of a step back last year. Some of it was injury to Tua, but you know, some of it is just you're on top for so long. Eventually that just comes back a little bit. So I think the gap between them and the, pretty good teams in the big 12 is probably just a little bit closer than it has been. And so I think, you know, we were writing about it this week on big 12 burn ends. There's probably two or three teams that have a little bit more of a, of a window. That door has cracked open a little bit wider for them because I think there's some blood in the water. So you said, historically speaking, you weren't really thinking they'd lose two in a row and I'm not asking for your game prediction, but like, are you entertaining the reality that this is three in a row with the Texas game coming up? I, I'm entertaining it. I'm not picking it. Yeah. But I, it, it like, but you believe it's a realistic outcome. You're not doing that, this like hard line in the sand. No chance. Lincoln Riley is going to let this Oklahoma team lose three Big Twelve games in a row. Like, no chance. Well, that that's why I'm picking them to win. Okay. I mean, that seed that seed's planted. But I was sitting there right, and I was like, again, John Blake, rest in peace, man. But like. Lincoln Riley ain't no John Blake. 
I, I think when you talk about backs against the wall, and both of these programs are all kind of there, but in the corner, desperate team's a dangerous team, and Lincoln's been a little, you know, a little conservative so far. I, I think the gloves are off for this one. And if and it, at any time you want those gloves off, it's, it's for this one. So I, I feel like I'm hearing you say that, like, Oklahoma needs this more than Texas does. Is that what you think? Am I, am I reading that right? Because I'm not sure I agree with that. Like, I, I don't, this is like know, a desperate I, no, situation for both. I, yeah, I, was gonna, I don't know that Oklahoma needs it more than Texas. I, I think come game time and execution time, I think Oklahoma gets it done. But Texas, here, here's what's frustrating people in Austin. I can hear them from my apartment. This is, what, I mean, this is where we're at with them. Everybody's, most teams are taking a, a little bit of a setback because of the pandemic. Tynan's off, muscle memory's off. Penalties, bad it. tackling, like lots penalties, of stuff. Seen it all yeah, over the place. Seen it all. But for Texas, 22 penalties in the last two weeks for 192 yards. Procedural stuff, pre-snap stuff. Every positive play for TCU was a holding penalty. I mean, now some of it is just, Big 12 refs got a big 12 ref, but like they are not, they're, they're stumbling. They're not executing on all cylinders. And I, again, I, I think when you on the other side of that red river, when you see Oklahoma being an open vessel, like it is right now, people are going like, yo man, like this, this is your chance. Like you're, if you're going to get them now's when you're going to get them. And, and I think after that TCU loss, you go, man, seven to last nine to Gary Patterson. And now we're going to go, if we make it, I think Oklahoma's won for the last five. If you go, man, we, if we can't get them now, are we going to be able to get them if we face them again in the Big 12 championship? I, it's just, this is a, it's a desperation mode for Texas in another sense in that, look, man, we, we see the vulnerability here. We got to take advantage of that. So Tom Herman has like, what was his quote? He said something along the way of like, even if we had won that game, you know, we would still have these issues. We would still have a lot of problems with this team. Like if, if Ingram had punched that touchdown in, then this is like, we are still going to be very concerned. And if we don't fix those issues, it doesn't even matter the opponent, something along those lines. So Tom Herman yeah. seems to be calling it like it is right now. Where are you at with Tom Herman? Because because here's the situation. <laughs> Hang on, what's, what's the Tom Herman dance? The, what's it, the Alamo Bowl dance? Like we, I mean, he's bringing in a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, and there's a way to read it as though that was your your Hail Mary, right? But then you don't have the, the full off season to install everything. Like how, where are you at with Tom Herman right now? <laughs> Yeah, so I think you hit the nail on the head. When you bring in two new coordinators, that tells you, like, yo, man, we need a wholesale fix because you can recruit, but, you know, you need those guys coaching them up. And when you do wholesale fixes, that typically is like your, your sort of that, – that's your safeties, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's your last line of defense. And I think with, with Tom Herman, the, the thing that is habitually frustrating is that – they just, they can't get over that ceiling, that like eight and a half, right? Like nine win ceiling. They might get it one year. And I think by winning 10 games or whatever it was, getting the Big 12 championship in, in 2018, 
that was like year two. Mm-hmm. I think they punched up. I mean, I think they kind of had, they got a little bit ahead of schedule, took a step back last year, which was kind of nat- natural given the, the roster turnover. But this is a year where you're like, okay, we're kind of, we got to get back up there. And they just haven't quite been able to just, yeah, it's just, it's like right there and they just can't get over it. And I think the, the ever growing frustration is, Okay, with Matt Brown, it kind of went in the tank. With Charlie Strong, it never worked out with it. Like, how many more times do we have to do this before we're going to – just the playoff, baby. Like, just just get us, like, over one of those humps. And they just haven't been able to do it. And, and it's always something different. And with this year, it's the penalties. It's the, it's the discipline. It's just – it's like Sam Ellinger threw four touchdowns against TCU and you'd swear it was four interceptions. Like it's just, it's always something. Is this, is, is Tom Herman on the hot seat? Yeah. Yeah. I think like, so. Like, like legit, like you could see legitimately. I'm not like the pressure is obviously on, Yeah. but could there be, could it go so South that there's a move made this year? Do you think, you know, if you'd asked me that, maybe three months ago, Barton, I probably would have said, no, nah, it's this, this, this is the, the clean slate year. Everyone kind of, kind of gets the freebie, but like who, who got fired after one week? Southern Miss. Southern. Yeah, that's right. Hobson. Well, he yeah. parted ways. However yeah. Whatever it means. He, he was going to, I think the team, I think the team fired him. They made that yeah. decision with their performance. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm kind of tight with Scotty Walden. I was texting him and I was like, Hey man, how's, you know, like, how are things? He's like, yo, man, it was and like, it was not good. And so, you know, I, I don't think Tom Herman is in that same, like, you know, Hobson realm where you're like, the team's just not even buying in anymore, but he definitely is on the, the production side of it. He's not quite getting it done. Obviously there's still time, but in terms of, do I think a move would be made? I, I no longer buy the fact that this is a free year for everybody. Mm. Yeah. Sam Ellinger, 14 touchdowns to two interceptions on the season. And he's out here, sad boy status, talking about this being (laughs) the darkest day for a proud program, given that uh, old Manny Diaz speech. I, uh, so, all right. So what's your, as, as you're doing the X's and the O's, you're writing previews for cbsports.com. Where, where's like the one spot that you've got is, is really seeing this matchup hinging. Again, it comes down to who from Oklahoma is going to step up and be that dude. And uh, maybe, maybe even Lincoln Riley has to do it with like a Philly special or something. Like someone's got to come out and say, we're not losing this game. And I think Oklahoma just finds that one more play to get that. Cause on paper, like Texas got everything they need to tear apart Oklahoma's passing defense. Like mm-hmm. you got, you got like, uh, 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 what's his face from Kansas state, uh, Deuce, uh, Deuce Vaughn, Deuce, Deuce Vaughn, like running a little slant route, like out of the slot going 78 yards for touchdown against, against Oklahoma. So I think Texas, when you talk about like, Brandon Eagles, Joshua Moore, like they got those big body types at all positions to go out there and make plays against this, this Oklahoma defense. I I think that's going to be a a total success for them. I think this game easily gets into the thirties, if not the forties last team with the ball wins type of thing. I just think Oklahoma 
finds that one more play and gets it done. Mm. All right, what about the rest of the Big 12? If there's blood in the water, who, who you got your money on in being able to feast? I've been riding on TCU's wagon for a real long time. Max Duggan does not have the biggest resume right now. You're talking about, about one and a half games. I think he's been the most consistently impressive quarterback in the Big 12 so far. But we got to just see a little bit more from that team in general. Uh, I think if Iowa State can just get everyone to play their type of ball, then, yeah, I think Iowa State can be that team too. Love that defensive front from the Cyclones. Love Mike Rose. I think he's an everywhere linebacker for them. Their big thing is they're going to play Texas Tech this weekend. The one thing I don't love about Iowa State is if they get behind like 14-0, I think that's a little bit more of a challenge for them. They, I don't know that they have the targets in the passing game beyond Charlie Kohler to really like open up and say like, okay, we're down two, three scores. We, we can get this back, no problem, make some halftime adjustments. They get behind, I think that's their Achilles heel. Uh, but those are my two teams. I'm not super buying Oklahoma State yet. Oh, come on. <laughs> I know that's your boy. I know those are your boys. Those are your boys, Barton. I love I, defense is salty as hell. Like I love what they're producing on defense. I just, man, I've seen this movie, and I feel like Mike Gundy's got a couple of clunkers in him. I feel like he's got a couple of Mike Gundy specials in him, and uh, that's just that's just me. I, I I Shane Illingworth has been good, and I think that's. A potential quandary if he if he continues to play well. Do you no just way. no? You think, you think no. Spe- what do you mean? Sanders is going to come back. Like he's he's Spencer Sanders. This is that. That's the key. That's the key point of Oklahoma State is we haven't even seen Oklahoma State let, with Spencer let, Sanders. Let me ask. Like just because Shane Lillingworth is surviving out there and Oklahoma State is surviving with them doesn't mean that suddenly there's a quarterback controversy. This team is going to get better when let Spencer me, Sanders. Let me ask you a question. In the trio of Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, and Spencer Sanders, how are you ranking that trio in terms of how good they are and how important they are in that team? Uh, Tylen Wallace. No, how important they are to that team? I probably would still put Spencer Sanders one. Spencer Sanders what? one, Tylen Wallace two, and Chuba Hubbard so three. When Sh- so when Shane Illingworth t- took a couple of bombs to Tylen Wallace to finally get things going against Tulsa because everything was dead in the water, you think Spencer Sanders, a healthy Spencer Sanders, is making those throws? Yeah, why not? What are we what? talking Shane Illingworth stands there with Frankenstein boots on and throws it north. And, and, and Spencer Sanders has the arm talent, has the ability to make those throws. He can just give you a run element too. The key, the Spencer Sanders thing is not necessarily the Spencer Sanders is like this is phenomenal quarterback. It's that as Spencer Sanders goes, so goes the ceiling of Oklahoma State. So yes, if Spencer Sanders is not very good, then Oklahoma State will not be very good also. But I think that Spencer Sanders gives them the chance to be good. Chuba Hubbard, they also have L.D. Brown. So, like, he's he's actually yeah, not that. That's fair. Not, and Tylen Wallace, I think, is critical because he is their one, like, absolute dude on mm. the perimeter. But, I, but yes, I think if, you, if you're hating on Oklahoma State, that's fine. Wait till my boy <laughs> gets back in. And, you know, we'll have, have, we'll have Coca clip this, and we can run it back when Oklahoma State's playing in the college football playoffs. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you that time. I just, I think, I think, I think Shane Illingworth, passing wise, 
can make the same plays that Spencer Sanders can. Now, can Spencer Sanders give you the run game? Absolutely. But if you have L.D. Brown taking some, some pressure off of, of Chuba Hubbard, I think you've sort of helped with that a little bit in the aggregate. So I just, th- I, again, I, I think Oklahoma State, I think they have their, their clunkers left in them this year, so I'm not totally buying it. But I love that defense. Defense has been way ahead of the offense, way ahead of schedule there. He is Ben Kerchival. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Kerchival, and he will be back to gloat or take it. Like Oklahoma State. Oh, come on, my folks. This is it. My podcast. We've we've got the rivalry set for the rest of the Big Twelve season. Be sure to read uh, his preview of uh, Texas Oklahoma, and of course, follow along all throughout. Are you doing live blog on Saturday? Do we have a live blog set up? Oh, did it miss the cut? <laughs> that stinks. That's uh, not good. That's not that's good. Not good. <laughs> Says something about the game. Uh, all right, Ben. Thank you very much. All right, peace, guys. Coming up next, Anna Hickey, 247 Sports, talking Clemson, Miami, and more Tigers next. Majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And now it is our pleasure to welcome to the podcast... Uh, often oft referenced and, and always uh, a bit of research as we are digging around on the Clemson Tigers. Nobody has their finger on the pulse of that program quite like Anna Hickey, 247 Sports. Um, Anna, the the Clemson beat has become this uh, this very, very interesting, uh, like it is insular and at the same time attracts a lot of national attention. And it feels like, you know, there's always that national local like push and pull, but I, I feel like you've done a good job of, of threading the line there. You know, you represent two, four, seven sports. You're able to also still keep all your sources uh, right there on the ground. How's, how is the experience of, of being there and, you know, making that trip to the, uh, the facility sliding down the slide and, and sort of seeing the way that the beat has exploded over the last couple years? Well, the slide, I can say, lives up to standard. So we got to do it once the media did because uh, Dabo's press conference is upstairs and then we'll go downstairs to do player and coordinator availability. So sometimes they'll let us take the slide. There is a sign there that says, players and staff only though, but uh, sometimes we're not, when they're not looking, we will slide down the side. Um, the facility is awesome. I mean, it's kind of been weird these past few months. We haven't been able to do anything in person. Everything's been via Zoom, but Clemson's been pretty good in terms of uh, access. I mean, we're still getting coordinators during the week, which is one of my favorite things about it. I know a lot of schools around the country don't do that. And just the insight that Venables and Elliot can give us post game and then during the week. I mean, I think my coverage of games and 
the analysis, that sort of thing is just is extremely uh, better because of that, just what they're able to give you there. Um, this has kind of been a turbulent offseason, though, for Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. I mean, back in the summer, you know, the the racial injustice stuff was really kind of at its, its peak. Dabo was right in the middle of that. And then it kind of got going again last week when he was asked a question, um, a pretty sensitive question about Black Lives Matter. And that kind of went off the rails a little bit. He was there was some tension there between the media and Dabo. Um, but this week, I think with a big opponent in Death Valley, um, we'll be kind of strictly talking about football. All right, so let's let's talk let's talk football. Let's yeah. Talk, let's talk Clemson because I think I think a lot of people are probably like me who are are sort of watching Clemson just with on like the side TV because they're blowing yeah. everybody out and it's, yeah, I was hoping to cover three and Barton had zero to say about Clemson Virginia. <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. Clemson didn't play that well. So this is my question for you is like, tell me, tell us, how is this the same level of Clemson as the last few? Like, because there is, there is a lot of like, there's a lot of these young freshmen that are playing. They're, they're missing some of these perimeter receivers that have been so critical the last few years. They're still blowing teams out. Like, I, I actually looked at the – when I kind of box score scouted the Clemson-Virginia game because I, I only watched it and just sort of flashes here and there, I sort of looked up and I was like, you know what? Clemson kind of scored just about every possession except for, like, maybe three. You know, I don't know what it was. Like, you know, eight of 12 possessions or something. And so there's there's, there's still, clearly still just, like, you know – on this death march through the ACC, but I, I don't know that I have a firm grasp on whether this is the same. It's clearly still elite. It's clearly one of the top three or four, but do you have a sense on whether or not this is like, just like always, or whether there's a crack in the facade or whether, Hey, maybe they're even better than we realize. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I was thinking about this yesterday. Normally when I'm, as a Clemson reporter, I'm, I've obviously covered some big games, but it's normally in the postseason when we know what Clemson is and we know what their opponent is in the playoff. This year it's kind of different covering a top 10 matchup, and I really don't know what Clemson is at this point. And Clemson, I mean, they've kind of been known to have that slow start. They're going to play a bunch of guys, develop their team, not show a lot maybe kind of early in the year, and then kind of come on. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that per se against Miami, but kind of a couple of things that you talked about, um, still some question marks in my eyes at wide receiver around the perimeter. Worth noting that Joseph and Gata, their primary boundary guy, has been out the past two games with an ab injury. I think he's expected back versus Miami, so that'll definitely give them kind of a, a, a boost there. Um, but you're right, they don't have Ross. Latin has done some good things, but I still think they're waiting for him to be super consistent, especially with the deep ball. Amari Rogers has looked really good now that he's yeah. healthy off that ACL injury. He gives him a vertical threat, which is something that I didn't necessarily expect coming into the season. I thought he'd be all, you know, mostly an underneath guy. Um, and then Galloway, the tight end, has stepped up in certain occasions that Virginia kind of shut him down. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting matchup to see if on, on Saturday versus Miami to see kind of if those receivers can get going. Um, but yeah, just big picture. I mean, this defense is different. And I, I know every year Clemson loses some key pieces, whether the NFL or graduation, but we kind of just expect Clemson's defense to be Clemson's defense because of Brent Venables and the way they develop the guys in their program. But um, I think they have three starters back. 
So there's a lot of young guys. And then up front, they're missing Xavier Thomas, Justin Foster, and Tyler Davis. So that's three starters. And their defensive front still has performed well. But, you know, I think that's something to note. What, what's, the, what's, what's going on with Tyler Davis? He got banged up in the second game, maybe? Am I right about that? Or first he, game? No, he did not play versus the Citadel. Um, he got banged up. Against Wake. Wake. Bar game. Yeah. He won. Yeah. Okay. And then Foster's kind of in protocol, undisclosed stuff there. I don't think he'll be back this week. And then Thomas, they're trying to work him in maybe later this month. Um, so, yeah, that's our three starters right there on the defensive front. Um, and But I think the main thing has been the secondary. Um, two corners, their corners have been pretty locked down. Gary Kendrick on one side and kind of a mix of Booth and Mario Goodrich on the other side. But safety, losing Tanner Muse and Kayvon Wallace, they're just such playmakers in the middle, super savvy and stopping the run, just kind of patrol that middle of the field back area. And um, they have Nolan Turner there and then Landon Sanders, who's a first-year starter. And I think that's another key matchup on Saturday, just how those guys perform uh, defending Brevin Jordan and Mallory and Will Mallory. So to your point, uh, I looked at there have been 11 11- regular season games against ranked teams since the start of 2015, since the championship run starts average points allowed in those games, 18.5 and a lot of like 24 to 10, 27 to seven, 14 to six. If possible, my theory is uh, big game Dabo. Big game Dabo wants to let Brent go and win the game. He wants to let the defense go and win the game. He'll take the field goal if the red zone try doesn't work out. He will punt to play field position and run the ball to avoid making that kind of game-changing mistake. And I I, I like what you said because it's every year the defense uh, sort of shifts in identity, right? Like, I mean, at least in terms of what they do well and, and sort of schematically what they're trying to do. Does this defense, especially with some of those, uh, some of the attrition that you just mentioned right there, does the does Clemson have a defense to be able to play that big game Dabo style and and limit Miami's up tempo offense to to let that group lead? Yeah, I think the tempo is key because Miami likes to use tempo to kind of get you get you sleeping alignments, eyes, that sort of thing. And Clemson was not good in that department against Virginia, especially in the past plays. I mean, they let. I think it was four pass plays of 20 plus yards. And then they let Armstrong scramble and kind of get outside the pocket. So it was interesting what Clemson did defensively against Virginia, though. They didn't really bring pressure. They kind of dropped into rushing lanes, I guess, more to just kind of contain Armstrong with his legs. But I, I don't know. If I, if I was betting, I would not think that would be the same game plan against King. I think Venables is going to dial some more stuff up and bring more pressure to kind of see what they can do in the backfield um, there. But you know, I don't know. I think Venables, his scheme, he's so smart. You know, I think he knows what he, what kind of personnel he has, their strengths and their weaknesses. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't kind of have an A-plus game plan this week. He talked about it this week, just how much he's kind of relishing this opportunity um, to go against King and some of these playmakers. So, um, yeah, when you look across the board, I mean, other than up front, you're not going to – and maybe at corner, you're not going to have any of these four five-star guys jump off the page at you at linebacker and safety. Um, so it's kind of been like that for, for Clemson. So in that sense, you kind of think that, yeah, this defense is going to be like defenses in years past, even though they're inexperienced just because of Venables. But um, I still think we're waiting for that test to see if that's going to hold true. Yeah, but this – I feel like that's all – like I, the last couple of years um, – I remember like the knock on Clemson, like from other coaches as well. I don't know, like their safeties aren't that good. And then you look up and, uh, you know, Kayvon Wallace 
gets drafted in the fourth round, you know, and like, I just feel like there's always, they're always like more talented than we give them credit for. I, I'm, I'm curious on like the, we, we, like we, I, Brandon Marcello just wrote a piece for 24 seven sports. Like, Oh, like why Miami thinks they can beat Clemson or whatever. And Miami's got, you know, they've, they're three, and know, and I've got them ranked third in the country on my CBS. Poll. Yeah. <laughs> why are you laughing at that? I got to rank third in the country okay. on my CVS poll. I'm, I'm like, I'm building up the hype here. And Miami gets all juiced up for these kind of games. And, and you've got BYU four, right? <laughs> they're like ninth. Yeah, okay, they're, yeah. They're, all, they're up there. So my question is, does Clemson think that they are invincible or does Clemson think that they can? And I know that that's obviously a very like uh, abstract question, but the vibe you get from this program this year, this cycle, do you think that there's a um, – an element of invincibility to their, to their mentality or, or not, because there are some of these kind of new faces defensively, new faces on offense. I think that they are not going to, if they do think there's some cracks, they're not going to show it, whether that's a coordinator or especially Dabo Sweeney. I mean, you hear Dabo talk about his team and they're not going to lose to anybody, but I, I, I do think that they recognize, especially the players, they recognize the youth on defense and how that might take, a few games to kind of start clicking, especially like you said, at safety um, and then up front, if those guys are missing, but anytime you have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and an offensive line, that's pretty good. um, I think you think you're going to have a chance regardless of kind of where your other pieces might be lacking. So, um, you know, I don't know if you were asking me that question, do I think there's some invincibility there? I think that they just have so much experience in these big games, so much success in the postseason that they have a blueprint and they feel like if they stick to that blueprint, even, you know, think about the North Carolina game last year, you know, like they, that was when it was like, oh no, is Clemson going to have that season where they maybe don't get to the playoff this year? And then they did. So I just think that they, they take their time developing their team in the beginning of the season and they feel like if they trust their plan, then by the end of the year, they'll be where they want to be. If they want to, I mean, they can't lose though. Cause that was the other thing is I, I was, I was going, as I was going back doing that research, the one time where Clemson's hand was forced was against Lamar Jackson. Like Lamar Jackson was a game changer and he came into death Valley, October 1st, 2016. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple quick scores and you know, like, all right, we, we got to get out of our game plan. We got to find ways to start getting some points real quick. And like, do you think that Derek King can be Lamar Jackson in this scenario? Not necessarily that, you know, Miami's going to win because of him, but is he that kind of game changer in your eyes where he might force Clemson to, to go a little bit deeper uh, in the playbook or not go as deep in the depth chart just to make sure that they keep the talent level high uh, to be able to keep pace? Yeah, I think he's that type of dynamic player. He's not as fast as Lamar, right? right. So I don't know if... And Lamar kind of got Clemson on the edges a few times strictly with his speed. So I don't know if if that's going to necessarily hurt Clemson as much. But I do think in terms of just talking about a dynamic quarterback, he likes to throw. He's very accurate. He's very consistent. He's got a plethora of of pass catchers, even though to me, one of the things to look at is just kind of how their wide receivers haven't necessarily had those breakout games yet. I mean, obviously they have Brevin Jordan and and, uh, Will Mallory, but – Wide receiver wise, I think, 
you know, you could still stand to see more from Mark Pope. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he's not passing, then he's scrambling. I think he's averaging 15 yards of scramble. And then Dabo said yesterday he's averaging 5.4 yards after contact. So, I mean, he's physical. He's got everything you want in a quarterback. And um, so, and I think they have enough pieces in the run game with Harris and just, just explosive playmakers all around and their scheme. Their scheme is so good, I feel like, with the tempo what Lashley is doing and actually looks organized for once, you know, with Miami. So, um, I mean, I think that their offense, King definitely gives them a chance. What's your pick, Anna? This is your chance. Yeah, I'm going to pick Clemson. I feel pretty confident in that. Now, whether I'm going to go, what is the line now? 14? Mm-hmm. Somewhere around there. I haven't determined that, but yeah, I I think this might be a trendy upset pick this week. I don't know, but I think Clemson has just been there before. They have the big game experience. I don't know if they necessarily show their cards defensively versus Virginia. Um, And I just kind of trust Brent Venables dialing something up for this Miami offense. And then I trust what uh, Trevor Lawrence can do and then I think Miami's run defense is a liability so I think one of the keys is just kind of to try to get Travis Etienne going early um, could be a high scoring affair but I just think Clemson comes out on top so you're you uh, you obviously are you cover the juggernaut in the league and so as you look across the rest of the league and, and you look at you know if this isn't the, this is this in the game that Clemson gets beat who is is there another team out there you have your eye on that could potentially challenge Clemson down the road, whether it's a matchup or whether it's just a team that you think is that good. Um, where, where, where you, where does your attention go towards? Well, Notre Dame, I think, is the obvious answer there, especially with the game being in South Bend. Um, Notre Dame having played Clemson before, kind of understanding what they bring to the table and that revenge factor a little bit. Um, but to me, it's not necessarily that one game in each circle. I mean, you could look at Pitt, maybe has some pieces. Virginia Tech, I think, has some pieces. But to me, it's just like that, you know, they have that stretch, that six-game stretch that's going to be pretty tough. Um, and could they slip up there, especially in a weird era of COVID where you might have a key player missing here or there? Yeah. Kind of like when they lost to Syracuse. You weren't necessarily picking them to lose to Syracuse, but they had that one bad game last year where they could have lost to North Carolina. You wouldn't have seen that coming, but it happened. So I don't know if Clemson kind of got that out of their system against Virginia. Because, I mean, offensively, they got behind the chains, but overall they did well. Defensively, they didn't look good, though. So I don't know if that was their early season blunder or if we're kind of still going to – you might still have that. Um, I picked preseason, though, Clemson to lose one game, one regular season game this season. And that was more so because of just the uncertainty of COVID, not necessarily because I could pinpoint one team that I thought they'd lose to. Um, But I mean, I'm not saying that they couldn't lose this weekend. I definitely think they could, but I just think that you have to know something that I don't know if you're going to pick Miami straight up. And I assume nothing has changed in terms of your preseason pick that that you think they'll, they'll slip up somewhere along the way or that you're predicting yeah, I think they definitely yeah. yeah, I mean, like you, like I said, I don't know if I can look on the schedule right now sure. and say, hey, this will be their slip-up game. I just think it could happen somewhere along the way. I mean, they've won 38 out of 40 going into the year. So I guess now it's what, like 40 out of 42? Stupid. Yeah. I mean, they just, they they win, they win ACC games. And they, they win most regular season games, especially when uh, they haven't lost a regular season game with Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback. 
Stupid. Well, Chip, you're you're on the over from the Edgewater Sportsbook and Emporium and Buffet, and so you you might not see that slip up. I'm on the under along with Anna, and so I guess we'll just we'll find out if the COVID yeah. era is gonna 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 catch them. Um, what is your in this game? Either one of y'all. Are you allowed to say that? Or do you have to say that later in the week? I haven't crunched the numbers yet, I've, so I don't. I don't have an official pick. I. I. I mean, I think Clemson. I think Clemson wins. Um, but whether it's a cover, whether it's as a, you know, I. I I'm. I'm still. I'm still figuring out how close I think it's going to be. I'm on the under, uh, and I'm on the. I'm on Clemson, and I think it is like like it ain't going to be thirty-eight to three, but. No. You know, it it might be one of those games where it's like I don't know, thirty-one to ten, and all of a sudden it's just because aren't I mean, kind of hard to run an up-tempo offense in a hurricane, even if your name is the Hurricanes, and like when there's like standing water on the ground and you're out there and you're just like splash, 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 as you're just trying to get going. I, I I could see this being a game that Clemson is more than happy to turn into a rock fight because they just think that running the ball, they're going to be able to be better than Miami doing that. I mean, Miami's running up against Louisville and Florida State. Like, UAB is the best defense that they faced. And I just, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely buying in. I will say, the two areas that do concern me are Brevin Jordan, who is an NFL everything, first-round pick in next year's NFL draft, and Clemson does have some standard issue, regular old Clemson linebackers. Like James Skalski, that's a, that's a Clemson tryhard at linebacker if I've ever seen one. You know, like like Mike Jones, who? Uh, you know, Balen Specter. Like Clemson's, Clemson's always got a couple of those linebackers that are just like, oh, we're good development guys. And they do come up with like big plays. But I, I mean, that just might be a size and talent mismatch if they get the the wrong kind of uh, matchups there. The other one, and I know Dabo mentioned this, I think yesterday, but Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips are dangerous. And I, I don't know, like, like you said, Clemson's offensive line is what? They're all right. They're pretty good. But I don't think that there's many teams that will test them like Miami up front. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's probably the key matchup. Um, Jackson Carmen, Jordan McFadden defending number two and 15 for Miami. I do think we'll see some explosive plays this week. I mean, Miami kind of makes a living off that, especially with their tempo, um, whether it's in the run game or pass game. And I think Clemson does too. So I would be on the over and I lean towards, I lean towards Clemson covering too. So you're, you're, you're saying, official. you said eye discipline, right? Clemson's eye discipline didn't look good, right? That might be a buzzword that I picked up hearing that we'll see it every single and we talked to him, but yeah, that's definitely, definitely important for Stimpo. She is Anna Hickey. You can follow her on Twitter at Anna H two four seven. Follow all the action. Two four seven Sports Clemson. The, no one does it better on the Clemson beat. So make sure uh, that you keep tabs. Uh, it's, it's been too long. Again, we we often shout you out on the podcast for for giving us those yeah. good nuggets and insights. I'm a listener, so I hear it. Yeah. Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you got to make an appearance. And thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me.
as one door closes, another opens. The 2020 fantasy baseball season is over, but 2021 prep is just beginning. Join Scott White and me, Frank Stample, on Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, as we take an early look at position previews, review mock drafts, and react in real time to the MLB hot stove. Not only that, we'll be welcoming in some of the best guests in the industry to try and figure out what was real and what wasn't from the abbreviated 60-game season. Listen Tuesdays and Thursdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found.